Hello, I'm Simon. And I'm Dan. And this is the Wikicast, a podcast where Wikipedia takes us to a random article and we talk about what we find. Daniel, what are we talking about this week? This week, Simon, we're talking about England in the late Middle Ages. Oh, yeah. Oh, a good one. Yeah. Okay. I think it might be the largest Wikipedia article we've ever had. We had a very long one, I remember, for Suleiman the Magnificent. There was a Ah, sultan that we ended up talking about, and that was huge. But Oh, interesting. Well, before we get into the article, Dan, is there something that we we should say? Happy New Year! (gasps) Happy New Year! I think we're very timely with this episode. Yes, very good. Um, Anyway, England in the late Middle Ages, Simon. (laughs) So, okay, late Middle Ages. Now, in my head, the late Middle Ages in England ended with the Battle of Bosworth Fields. I think that was what I was taught in school, so 1485. Yes. Is that what this article uses? Yes. So the accession to the throne of the Tudor dynasty. Mm. But to start, we've got the history of England during the late Middle Ages covers from the 13th century, the end of the Angevins. The Angevin kings? Angevins, yeah. Yeah. And the accession of Henry III, considered by many to mark the start of the Plantagenet dynasty. Plantagenet. That's the one. Until the accession to the throne of the Tudor dynasty in 1485, which is often taken as the most convenient marker for the end of the Middle Ages and the start of the English Renaissance and early modern Britain. Because I read um, a fascinating book called The Hollow Crown about the Wars of the Roses. Ooh, I saw that on an Instagram story. Who was who was reading The Hollow Crown? Gosh, only this morning before I was before I oh, got wow. up to, do, to, to, to work. Um, yeah, that's so odd. Okay. Was it any good? It, I, I, I thought it was fantastic. Mm. Oh, gosh. Hang on. Who wrote it? Because there's annoyingly, if you Google it, you get the TV show. Um, Dan Jones, that's it. Ah. I'm not a historian. I've not read... I've read a fair bit of history, sort of mm. popular history, but not that much. But I, I thought it was really, really well written. It sort of presents the... It does two things very well. It presents the a period of history as far more complicated than you think it is. Like, I think in my head, the Wars of the Roses was a war that was declared between York and Lancaster. They fought for a bit. There was a battle of Bosworth Fields. And then Henry VII becomes king. Bish, bash, bosh, done. And it wasn't. It was this really messy, complicated civil war that sort of started and stopped and started and stopped for, like, a century. Uh, and obviously, and, well, not even obviously, had loads to do with what, um, England's possessions in France and how they were retaken and like that that whole messy bit of European history. The other thing it does very well is it um it's a very good like thriller. Like it's 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 almost like Dan Brown. Like mm. it's, it's very quick and easy to read because it, it, you just want to know what happens next. So would highly recommend. And so I, I guess I have off the back of that a little bit of knowledge about this period, but not going back far enough. I don't think for the, sure. for the whole period. I need to read more. I forget how much i love i think it's because as, when i was a, when i was younger and to to extent maybe still a bit now um, i absolutely loved fantasy mm. um and high fantasy and you can't really get much closer than sort of historical fiction right oh yeah yeah it's just so so gripping in fact not that this really is historic well to an extent it is are you familiar with kazuo ishiguro's the buried giant I've heard of it, but I've not read it. If you haven't read it, you absolutely need to read it. I finished it a few, maybe like a month ago, and it's just phenomenal. I mean, I've I've read a lot of Ishiguro. Um, I really, really like his his work. But The Buried Giant, wow, what a book! I ha- I got into it to a similar 
level that I got into. Uh, what's that Huxley one I was talking about months and months and months ago? Brave New World? Yes. Yeah. Just phenomenal. Really, really good. Yeah. Um, and I'm now on the lookout for some good sort of war of independence or or even going forward and, and get like American frontier um, historical fiction. I'd love to get it because I loved American history when I was at yeah. school. Yeah. I'd like to learn more about that, actually. It's so immersive, you know? Like, I, I, I just... I love it. It's the same reason why I love watching, um, oh, what's it called? The Revenant, because it's just so tactile, you know, you know, it's, mm. it's brutal and, you know, in the wilderness. It's, yeah, love it. You want the Oregon Trail in book form, basically. Basically, like, yeah. Or, or yeah. Little House on the Prairie, but a bit grittier. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of doing the opposite at the moment. I'm reading a book by Kim Stanley Robinson called The Ministry for the Future. Oh, right. Which is a fictional version of the 2020s and what, what a version of global warming looks like. And uh, it opens with the scene of a heat wave in India uh, and it's one of them. Uh, like at the moment, my days are very long. Mm. Like I get up at about seven, take baby for a bit in the morning, do a whole day of work, which finishes at like six. Cook dinner, do all the housework and stuff. Finish at about that. Finishes at about eight. Put the baby to bed. That fin- that can take anything up to four hours, and then I have like a little bit of time at the end of the day where I can read and I'll have the cat on my lap. And in that precious time, I was like, I'm going to try this Kim Stanley Robinson book, and. I'd read about 20 million people dying in a week uh, and uh, this is one of the most horrific openings to a book and I was like, cool, I'm going to go and try to go to sleep now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, th- I think I may need to... I, previously I was reading Over the Edge by Terry Pratchett which was really not... I really enjoyed it. Nice and light reading and uh, it's been a bit of a gear change. <laughs> it's good but I'm not sure it's necessarily the right book for me at the moment. Mm. But we we sort of crashed into Critics Corner already. So hang on, tell me more about the the, the England in the late Middle Ages. There's so much. I mean, there's there's so much. I sort of don't really know where to begin. Let me read you a little bit of this um this article. So mm. we ended with the with 1485 marking uh, the the start of the English Renaissance in early early modern Britain. At the accession of Henry III, only a remnant of English holdings remained in Gascony, for which English kings had to pay homage to the French, and the barons were in revolt. Mm. Royal authority was restored by his son, who inherited the throne in 1272 as Edward I. He reorganised his possessions and gained control of Wales and most of Scotland. His son, Edward II, was defeated in... Do you know the battle? Edward II... Can you give me the year? 1314... Oh, God. Is that Cressy? It's not Cressy. It begins with a B. And I don't mean battle. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> uh, no, I'm afraid not. Bannockburn? Oh, I was thinking in France for some ah. stupid reason. Of course it's Bannockburn. Yeah. Yes. He was eventually deposed in a coup, and from 1330 his son Edward III took control of the kingdom. Disputes over the status of Gascony led Edward III to lay claim to the French throne, throne resulting in the... Hundred Years' War, in which the English... Which lasted how long? (laughs) Not, well... (laughs) Not a hundred years. It it lasted like 80-something years. Why is it called the Hundred Years' War? Well, I can can tell you. Let's let's go on a tangent. Is it just one of these, it's about a hundred years, and it sounds more impressive than the 80-something year war? (laughs) It's just dangerous rounding up. (laughs) Yeah, the Hundred Years' War, in which the English enjoyed success before a French resurgence during the reign of England III 
Edward's grandson, Richard II. The 14th century saw, and has this for a century, the Great Famine and the Black Death. Oh, boy. Well, there's that, there's that famous, like, the worst year to be a human. Was it in that century or was it actually earlier? Worst year to be alive. Oh, no, it's 536. That was it. Gosh. Yeah, 536 was meant to be the worst year for a human to be alive because of, there was a volcanic winter. There was a, there was a big volcanic eruption and it meant that average temperature plummeted and everywhere had crop failures. And it was just seemingly absolutely awful. Gosh. I mean, I've, I'm not sure if I'd take that or the Black Death, to be honest. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, well, I mean, if you're thinking of class, right, I would take famine because if you had money, you could eat. Yes, true. And you'd be away to an extent from Black Death. Do you think you'd be doing a, uh, a middle class role in in the in the Middle Ages? Would you would you be a court advisor? I could see you in a, a sort of that's that's I guess the version of a lawyer back then. Are we saying that a court advisor was middle class? Would you not say so? I don't know. Not, I don't know not, whether there were They're not really, aristocracy. I don't know whether there was really much of a distinction between... I, I think it's probably a more binary system at that point. Do you not think? Yes, you're probably right. I, I, I think there were there were probably elevated commoners, mm. you know, people who had the favour of the court. They didn't have like elevators that. then, Simon. Come on. No, well, <laughs> awkwardly lifted by a rope pulley system, commoners. Yeah. And then the, the peasantry, A sort of paternoster lift. Right. I wonder when the first Paternoster lift was done. I don't know. <laughs> What's the difference between a Paternoster and a dumb waiter? I don't know, but I bet this punchline is going to be fab. Let's hear it. Oh no, that was a genuine question. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't a Paternoster go literally? It actually goes round, whereas a dumb waiter doesn't. It just goes up and down. Yes, you're right. A Paternoster doesn't stop. It go. You know, it, it sort of. It has a sort of parabolic up and under. Yeah, there's a diagram on Wikipedia here. There's one at a university yeah. that's got grade one status. Really? I think it's somewhere like Liverpool or something that's still around. So, even by our standards, Dan, this has gotten quite esoteric quite quickly. Although, actually, on the subject of university, I don't know. It was br- breaking news on the Wikicast. Whenever Fergus gets around to editing this one and I get around to reviewing it and releasing it, Breaking news as of the time of recording, Unit 1 in Exeter is shutting down. I heard. I saw just before we started recording. Absolutely tragic. I feel like we need to sort of sing a requiem or something. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it really just... uh, Unit 1 was was the club that we went to. Uh, Cheesy Tuesdays was the night of choice. Well, I mean, arena in my first year, well, sorry, in your time. Yes, arena as it as it should be called, but it was rebranded, uh, and it's just I think it's hit our group chat quite hard. Yeah. I just brought it up because it's it's the end of an era. God, yeah. Think about our favourite times, like that time I I dropped a hundred pounds on shots because I didn't count how many people were in the group. Yeah, well done. I said. I'll get. I want to buy everyone shots, and I didn't. I just didn't count how many people there were, and it was over a hundred quid. Good effort. Well done. Uh, I had an experience like that when I was in... It was This is years ago now. It must be sort of five... must be five years ago. Um, but we we were in London for something. I think possibly a carol service or something. And we... Anyway, a group of us ended up going to Heaven, the club. Oh, oh, right. Yes. That's a, that's a, that's a quite a famous gay club in London called Heaven. And... It was, very, it was very jolly, and this was my first time clubbing in London, and I was with maybe a group of three or four people. So, well, yeah, maybe maybe five, including me. And I said, right, this is great. Let's do. Let's all do a Jaeger bomb. 
you know, thinking like, you know, it's going to, they'll have some deal on, you know, five for whatever. Yeah, they normally do. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I said, I'll have five Jaeger bombs barkeep. Um, and <laughs> he was, this person was like, yeah, okay, pulled them out. And then I got my phone out to do a contactless payment and went beep. And, and yep. it said, no, denied. It's, it's too expensive for contactless. <laughs> and I was like, how oh, much was it? You're kidding. I have no idea. This was, this was before they'd upped the limit, but I think it must've been something like, I think the limit then was maybe thirty pounds. I think it used to be thirty-five. I thought you meant it was after that. It was like a because it's a hundred. I think at the moment. Yeah, you can do a frightening amount. And actually, if you use if you if you use Apple Pay in an Apple Store, there is no limit. Oh, that's dangerous. You could blip away ten grand if you wanted to, and I'm sure many people do. But anyway, yeah, I think it probably I don't know maybe cost me sort of like forty-five, fifty quid. Oh, that's not the one though, is it? Which put a bit of a dampener on the evening, but then when the effects of of the tonic kicked in i was um <laughs> you were like ah, didn't seem as, such a problem anymore happy as larry yeah i mean we're not club going people it should be said not you know really. we didn't spend a lot of our time in clubs but we have some very i at least have some very fond memories oh for sure of um of going to to unit one slash arena yes our, our mission statement is pubs not clubs is that fair yeah that's what we put above the door yeah, yes yeah in fact that was that lovely when we when we last met we went to that lovely pub just off um, Temple Station in London. Oh, we did our own bit of Wikicast um, investigation. Oh, we did um, there, didn't we? You're because right. now uh, the the pub was called the. It was named after an author, um, uh, Edgar Wallace. Yes. That was it. And I'd not heard of this guy before. And we went there. I think it was a friend of yours recommended that we went there yes. because it turned out it was quite cheap. And I was sat there and I was just like, Dan, who is Edgar Wallace? Because I have no idea. And the the decoration was very strange. The decoration was like adverts for old pantyhose, like 50s adverts and stuff like that. Yeah, and then, sort of ladies' undergarments and things. Yeah, and, and then there was the bust of the guy. As in his head, when we talk about undergarments, I feel like yes. you do have to specify. It was yeah. his head and shoulders with a hat on it, I think. And I was like, who, who was this guy? And so we went on the Wikipedia, and it turned out that Edgar Wallace was the man who created King Kong. Yeah, which is crazy. But, but he was this interesting guy. We, we, we have an article we're supposed to be talking about, but we're going to talk about this guy instead. Um, so he, um, really interesting guy to sort of dissect from a historical perspective, because he, incredibly prolific he wrote, uh, let me get the stats here, 18 stage plays, 957 short stories, over 170 novels, 12 of which he wrote in 1920 line alone. Mm. So this he, incredible output. But one of the things that he wrote was the the character of King Kong. And I don't think, I think he died before the film came out, but he like originally worked on the script. And sort of his best known, to, well, was best known at the start of the century to most people as just this guy who wrote pulpy fiction. And the way that he wrote so much was, uh, let me get this right, he narrated his words onto wax cylinders, mm. so like taking a voice memo, and then his secretaries typed it up. And then he just basically refused to edit it. <laughs> he was like, that, that's that's done. And apparently would sometimes... Well, so many of Wallace's successful books, this is from the wiki, were dictated like this over two or three days, locked away with cartons of cigarettes and endless pots of sweet tea, often working pretty much uninterrupted for 72 hours. Mm. Can you imagine that? Just sat there for 72 hours and just narrating a story, like thinking about it for a minute. It's just phenomenal. Everything about that man and that pub, actually. Yes. Because it was really lovely and really well-priced. 
for London. It was it was very competitively priced. Yeah. It was it was very good. The the other thing to mention about this guy though is that George Orwell called him a bully worshipper and a proto fascist. And if you do look at a lot of his stuff, it's like a very colonial. And I can sort of see why he isn't read as much these days. Um, but I, f- I feel like it's important to note that if we're going to talk about this guy and sort of the creation of King Kong, that that there's a whole colonial um, overtone to the whole thing. And that he doesn't see, I don't know, didn't seem to be a terribly pleasant man, but he had a very pleasant pub named after him. Yeah. Oh, he signed with my publisher, Hodder and Stoughton. No way. Didn't read that on the first thing. Oh, wow. We have the same, same Z's. That's crazy. <laughs> That's nice. What a quirky connection. But um, yes, yes, the last time we, we, we were in a pub, the other, type, the other thing we should mention if we're talking about our club going days was mm. when we went to Timepiece on New Year's Day, gosh, when would it have been, 2017? Um, yes, it must have been because I, think, I, I think started it would have university been. In, in 2016 and it would have been the end of that following year. Yes. So th- Right, so, so January 1st, 2018... I think, or would it have been? Because I, I can't. I think I. I think I hadn't submitted my thesis at this point. Anyway, whatever. It was New Year's, um, and we went to a lovely. Oh, ha- hang on, I'm telling lies. I'm telling lies. I'm telling lies. I started university in September 2015, so it would have been right. That it would have been December 2016, going into January 1st, 2017. Yeah, God, do you remember when we thought 2016 was the worst that it would get? Yeah, I mean that's oh, crazy to uh, think that. How old would I have been then? Because I'm, I turned twenty-seven this month. No, no, you didn't. Yeah, which is which is nuts, right? So I would have been what nineteen. Yeah, this is even before your tag yourself at twenty-one. Yeah, which I which I did uh, the other day. It was a photo of Hugo playing the saxophone, Edward playing the trumpet, yeah. and me playing an upside-down Dyson Hoover. Hoover. Yes, because I am a classy <laughs> bird, as they say. But we went to this very classy, actually, uh, dinner hosted by the... Uh, was it the deacon? Or the then, dean no, he of, was then dean of Exeter Cathedral. Yeah, then dean of Exeter Cathedral. Jo- um, Jonathan Draper. Jonathan Draper. And we were there in black tie, and then we went clubbing with our good friend Lily mm. afterwards. And I think my wife... I think I think Pixel Wife was there for that. But we got in for free because they thought we'd gone to the effort of <laughs> wearing black tie and so they gave us free entry into yeah. this really grimy, grimy pub. Well, the whole evening was extraordinary because, you know, the, the, the then Dean, and, and I imagine still is now, very distinguished man, very interesting, hmm. lovely voice, a really, really incredible orator. Wonderful speaking um, voice. And yeah. I remember sort of circulating around one of the one of the sort of sitting rooms in, in the deanery um, on Exeter Cathedral Green Close, which was this enormous house with multiple sort of living rooms and at least sort of six or seven bedrooms. It was a really silly, but, you know, historic, historic house. Um, and I got into, I was sort of mulling about and ended up joining a conversation of, you know, very, some very interesting women. And mm. I finished, I you know, had a nice chat and blah, blah, and I went away and... I think it was. I think Jonathan came up to me and said, "How did you enjoy chatting to, chatting to the women?" And I said, "Yeah, it was really interesting." What did they? He said, "Yeah, they're all. Um, they're all. They all do women's hour. They're the sort of women's hour team." Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't there were know that loads that happened. of. There were loads of really. Inter- yeah. So this. That, for those who don't know, there is a there is a program produced on BBC Radio Four called Women's Hour, 
and it's been yeah oh look it's been on the air since four, 19 since 14 19, since 1946 since the uh, england in the uh, late middle ages <laughs> yeah but they were all fascinating really lovely but there was i mean i i, I there must have been so many interesting people in in that house that night but gosh yeah wow that's one of those nights that i'd love to go back and relive yeah. like there are a few days of like my wedding absolutely i would i wish i could live if i could live one day on like Groundhog Day for the rest of my life, yeah, I'd, I'd absolutely pick my wedding. But there are there are some evenings like that that I just, um, yeah, that was fun. That was Magic. really really fun night. And hey, we we've cartwheeled away from the subject at hand, Dan. Tell me about England in the late Middle Ages. I mean, can you can you tell me about what 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 was it like to socially? What were the social factors going on for most the average person? Okay, let me find government and society. Okay, you can choose some sections here. We've got governance and social structures, Mm -hmm. women, identity, and an article that links to a new page about Jews and the expulsion. Oh, yes, because that was roughly when that... That was a whole thing I remember in The Hollow Crown about Jews being blamed for various problems. Yeah, the edict. The edict of expulsion, 18th of July, 1290. Yes. Yeah, that was it. Okay, give give me the one that's social and governance. Sure. This feels like a pick. Choose your own adventure. Yes, yeah. You've made the wrong choice. That's it. That's, it. That's the end. Um, start again. Um, on becoming yeah. king... <laughs> yeah, turn in, to page. In 1272, Edward I re-established royal power, overhauling the royal finances and appealing to the broader English elite by using Parliament to authorise the raising of new taxes and to hear petitions concerning abuses of legal governance. This political balance mm. collapsed under Edward II and savage civil wars broke out during the 1320s. Edward III restored order once more with the help of a majority of the nobility, exercising power through the Exchequer, the Common Bench, and the Royal Household. This government was better organised and on a larger scale than ever before, and by the 14th century the king's formerly peripatetic chancery had to take up permanent residence in Westminster. Edward used Parliament even more than his predecessors to handle general administration to legislate and raise um, the necessary taxes to pay for the wars in France. The royal lands and incomes from them had diminished over the years and increasingly frequent taxation was required to support royal initiatives. Edward held elaborate chivalric events um, in the effort to unite his supporters around the symbols of knighthood. The idea of chivalry continued to develop through the 14th century, reflected in the growth of knightly orders, including the Order of the Garter, grand tournaments, and round table events. Because, right, when you think of chivalry, mm-hmm. I think of that as being a more early medieval period thing. Like, the, the, the you know, uh, the, or the code chivalric and sort of... Um, Arthurian legend and stuff like that. Like I think of that as the early and high Middle Ages. But I th- it's so like blurry, isn't it? Like the idea of the Middle yeah. Ages just being from the fall of Rome in oh god four four eighty something whenever that happened and fourteen eighty five. Like basically a thousand years where we just put these these broad categories onto it of oh mm. that's early that's that's high and that's late and it's like well it wasn't the same everywhere yeah and. I, it's just a part of history that feels like at least we've stopped calling it the Dark Ages. Oh, that's true, actually. Yeah, because we'd, we'd call the Dark Ages from like the fall of Rome to the Battle of Hastings in the UK, so 1066. And then there's like a 400-year period where it's the Middle Ages. Mm. Because apparently if there was just a 500, 600-year span when nothing happened and everyone just got dumber and that absolutely didn't happen. Yes. 
Oh, this is making me want to read more history, Dan. Yeah. Why are you well, doing this to the me? The idea, the sentence here, the idea, the ideal of chivalry continued to develop through the 14th century. Right, makes me immediately think of one one of the one of the texts I had to study in my first year of my undergrad degree was Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, which is a 14th century. Oh, yeah, bit of sort of verse, I guess, which has that you know the basis for the Green Knight, the film. Yes, yeah. which was based on Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. But it's it's um it's fab. Ooh, I didn't realise that Tolkien's done a translation of that. Well, that was it. Fundamentally, Tolkien was just, it was a scholar. Yes, yeah, he yeah, was yeah. an Anglo-Saxon uh, and uh, he was specialised in the Anglo-Saxon period, I think. But mm. Also, um, how interesting medieval. Um, and actually, on the subject of the Green Knight, perhaps this is more suited for Critics Corner, but not not really. Mm. I'm not sure if you're aware, but Games Workshop has relaunched Warhammer Fantasy. And I did not know this. It's called Warhammer: The Old World, and they they've they've launched it with a the starter box is either Tomb Kings, so for those of you who don't know, skeleton, Egyptian skeletons led by mummies, uh, or Bretonians who are chivalric, like questing knights, loosely sort of French knights. And one of the playable characters that they've brought back is a sculpt from I don't actually know when the mid nineteen nineties of the Green Knight. And he's a character that you can play in Warhammer. That's cool. And he, he has some very weird rules where he's like, because he's a ghost, he can't be hit by anything other than a magical weapon, but is like unstable. And if you beat him in combat just by having lots of people with him, you can make him crumble away kind of thing. Very unusual. But like, it, it's... it's oh, Very tempted, Dan. I'm very, very tempted to go back to Warhammer the Old World. It's, a, it's another money pit yeah. that I can just see myself falling into. I could absolutely... I would absolutely love to do that. Because you had a couple of of Warhammer Fantasy models. What what range? Was it the Empire? Dwarves? What was it that you had? I had had the sort of classic dwarves and uh, goblins, was it? I think. Oh, Battle for Blackfire Pass. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Which was great fun. And then I moved on to um, Dark Elves. Yes. Oh, God. No, Dad. No, this is very dangerous. This is very dangerous to talk about because I've been very good. Lead me me not into temptation. Don't tempt me, Frodo. I I said that to somebody yesterday who was like, we could go to the shop next to Games Workshop. And I was like, "Uh uh-uh. No, I'm not doing that because I I don't have the money to spend. (laughs) But I will spend it anyway. I haven't bought models in quite a long time. I've been very restrained. Mm. I'm going to paint my models before I buy some new ones, but oh boy. Oh lord, those those the questing knights, and they've got new kits for the knights on foot that look incredible. And I'm just like, oh, I'm very tempted. That would be, yeah, that would be cool. Don't email in with people saying that you're playing Warhammer the Old World. Because I I I just wanna I I want those blocks of infantry. We have to like you know measure and get your angles right to get off char- side charges and you know I'd be really tactical with it in a way that you're kind of not in 40k. The more I talk, the more I'm making myself want to do it. <laughs> yeah, I'm just um, I'm actually oh. on the Warhammer website right now, just looking. I, I just look. I'm just looking, passing by. The new website is awful, by the way. Yeah, it's really bad. They did a big redesign recently, and I don't know who they got to do it, but they've 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 done f***ed up, eh, Ron? And it, it's it's good, and there's lots of multimedia, and it shows you cool animations and stuff. But like, yeah. Oh, so yes, so, so they've got the made to order these old old kits, like Bretonian, like Knight on Pegasus. God, that's like a kit from the eighties. Some of these, I do like Bretonian Lord with axe. Oh, sorry, a great weapon on Warhorse, because if you look at this model, 
not only I'll paint you a picture, dear, dear listener. There's a imagine your typical medieval knight on horseback. He's holding in both hands a, a double-handed axe, and he's like, Grr! and interestingly, his horse is somehow also doing the same facial expression. But not only does he holding an axe, his all of his heraldry on the panels of the horse are just axes, and then on his belt, he's got <laughs> a backup axe in case he runs out of his first axe. And it's like, I think this guy's just a psychopath. Like, yeah. <laughs> I think he's just like a, a slasher character, basically. Amazing. Oh my god. But the controversy around this is that they relaunched the, the Tomb King stuff and some of those models, like the skeletons, are bad. They're chunky old models from the 90s that have, they've done much better since mm. and they're selling for yeah. like 2024 prices. And it's, it's, it's raised a few eyebrows. But Games Workshop are also making a boatload of money, so I don't think they're going to stop. Anyway, we roughly talked about Europe in the the late medieval period, amongst other things. I think we've covered most of England in the the late Middle Ages, yes. We did justice to the article. Uh, But something else I would like to talk about is your choral piece of the week. And this will be my piece of the week. Drum roll, please. And I'd like to start, Dan, this section by saying, obviously, when you recommend things, I I completely ignore it for the most part because I'm sane. But I did listen to Caroline Shaw's Partita for Eight Voices that you recommended Uh, in the previous episode. Mm. And I have been absolutely obsessed. Oh, brilliant. I've just, it's been on repeat. The Courant, I've listened to the other movements, but the Courant is incredible. And if if people Mm. haven't, haven't heard it go back to the previous episode there's a link in the show notes go and listen to it there's a spotify link or you can just you know search it on apple music Uh, it's incredible so i just wanted to say on the record dan thank you for introducing me to this piece of music because it is extraordinary and i and i'm I'm no pressure now for for this episode's recommendation obviously well i think you know what i haven't really been doing much singing at all really I, i was filling in at all saints margaret street in london which is a very lovely church oh nice as a favor um, and we sang there for Low I Raise Up. A lovely. Stanford. Classic. Stanford, yeah. And Herbert Howell's Collegium Regale Eucharist service, which is sort of great because it's all of the recognisable motifs from the canticles and the and the sort of Te Deum, you know, but moved into a into a mass Eucharist. Text yeah, I didn't know that there was a Eucharist yeah. sort of reskin of it. Oh, it's okay. really good. So the the Gloria, for instance, is just the classic. Um, it basically sounds like the start of the Te Deum. We praise hmm. the O God. We ignore. It's just like no, glory Jesus. be to the to God on high. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> it was it, that was quite fun. But I don't know whether I really. I don't know whether I really have. Sadly, I have a, I have a suggestion mm. if you want one for something that we sang together recently because we sang a uh, Handel's Messiah. We did in London yes. in, in Battersea. Uh, I unfortunately I came down feeling really quite unwell and I lost my voice completely. Oh yeah, you did. Uh, basically, I sang the first part and then we got to uh, in the uh, interval and I was like, I'm sorry, I've got to go because yeah. I, I I was also filming like, the the subsequent week um, and just my voice went and it was awful but in the rehearsal 
Michael made the mistake of letting us sit together. Yes. Which was which was very funny and we had a very good time. Excellent. But specifically, if you there was the movement in in the Messiah, I think it's part 3, uh, since by man came death. Yes. But we we took it upon ourselves to sing in the rehearsal, I should point out, not in the actual performance, as since by man came Jeff. Yeah. It takes a little bit of the poignancy away from it, doesn't it? <laughs> It just sort of broke us a bit. Yeah. Because also the death angle of it is like the, the there's a real emphasis put on that word. Like since by man came Jeff. <laughs> like the je just stood out over everyone else. And it, it just it really tickled me. Yeah. So we if should we just put Handel's Messiah as this week's choral piece of the week? Yeah, well why don't we put Handel's Messiah since by man came death? But yeah, brackets, brackets Jeff. Jeff. <laughs> like do it as like an like an N E E Jeff, you know. Oh <laughs> nay Jeff. <Yeah. laughs> Incredible. Perfect. Okay, well there you are. Coral piece of the week. Since by a man came death, nay Jeff. <laughs> Bosh. Hopefully other people find that funny. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, that's that's the theme for the whole podcast, isn't it? It's just us laughing our asses off but <laughs> at each other. Yeah. And it's like yeah. apparently over a thousand people like this. <laughs> so Well, Simon, I think we should jump into Critics Corner. Absolutely, I've got a lot to say in Critics Corner. So Dan, in the mornings we have a routine. I wake up, scream at my continued existence, Mm -hmm. and then I check on the baby. Mm -hmm. And she has been doing this wonderful thing recently where I go and like loom over her if she's awake and she's just sort of wide-eyed looking at the world. And if you're lucky, she'll look at you and it's like the first thing she's seen in the day and she just breaks out into the biggest smile. Yeah. And it is the cutest thing in the world. And then I pick her up, I take her downstairs, um, or change her, take her downstairs so that Pixel Wife has a bit of time to herself. Change her for what? Uh, change her for a, a new model. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, gotcha, um, gotcha. I've got a 128 gigabyte baby now. Nice. Bloody hell. And, um, and we watch CBeebies in the mornings. Oh, yeah. Now, for those of you who are not from the UK, CBeebies is television programming that is aimed at children under the age of six. There's C, C, uh, CBBC is the older one that's for like kids up until they're kind of teenagers. Don't know why I went West Country then. <laughs> Don't know why um, you did at all. What, what, what a bizarre, extraordinary thing that happened. I just, don't know why. That can we just can we just take a moment to, to that was a, that was a, that was amazing. CBBC is the older one that's for like kids up until they're kind of teenagers. Don't know why I went West Country then. <laughs> I don't know why um, you did at all. What, <laughs> what, what a bizarre, extraordinary thing that happened. There's so much to unpack there. What about what about teenagers caused you to return to your I don't know. your like country I, bumpkin I, roots? Also talking about CBBC, which is not not remotely bumpkin. I guess it's because when I was a teenager, that's what all the teenagers around me sounded like. Like teenagers. <laughs> okay. Well their, fa- their family lives up on a hill, sells yeah. logs. Anyway, <laughs> they've, they've been taking over all the categories at the Chelwood Village show. Best marrow five years in a row. No one else can get a look in. Gold medals across their tabletop. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's basically a conversation I have with my mate, John. Everyone and their mum's packing round here. Yeah. Like who? Farmers. Who else? Farmers' mums. <laughs> very good. so good anyway so watching CBeebies and I have very strong opinions about kids TV Dan like there are certain shows that I have 
we've done this for a couple of weeks now, and it's the same things that'll be on in the mornings. Some things are fantastic, and I actively look forward to it. And I, I was sad this morning because we missed Bluey and we missed Hey Dougie. Those two are goated. They're fantastic kids' TV shows. But there are other shows that are a little later on that we've been uh, seeing recently uh, that just make me feel a bit sick. <laughs> and I don't know what it is. Um, there is a show called Messy Goes to Okido. And interesting, it's voiced, it's 3D animation. It's voiced by Adam Buxton, after the Adam Buxton podcast. And can I just ask you to Google that and tell me what you think of the character design? Messi goes to Okido. Okido, yeah. O K I D O. Ooh, I don't like it. Right. It makes me feel quite physically uncomfortable i saw a video though the other the other day of the new thomas the tank engine introduction mm. which is not models it's an awful animated thing and it's all poppy and it's a it's an absolute travesty well there's a new thing uh there's uh what they call chugger 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 oh god chugger oh no i've got a chugging chugger train cbb's Chuggington, yes, that yeah. sounds right. Hate Chuggington. I can, f you could, if you were to attach a magnet to the body of the Reverend V. W. Audrey, right, you could generate enough electricity to power the world by his spinning in his grave. Yeah, it's it's ch oh god, it's just it's no Thomas the Tank Engine. My child is going to grow up with Thomas, not this Chuggington. Sh but anyway, yeah, the I just sent you a thing of um, the character design on Discord for uh, like the villagers for okido and it's the the mouths are too high up the my eyes are too big I, I i feel sick looking at it i'm not gonna lie i actively dread when that show comes on there's also a really terrible 3d animation of peter rabbit right it's just really dated oh my god that's hard that's absolutely awful also the real teeth yeah, yeah, why? Why? Right, so can you describe the character, because I'm biased here, but can you describe the main character and why it is so uncomfortable to look at? So if you if you sort of don't look at the head, the body and tail is sort of like a kid's version of Sully from Monsters, Inc. Yeah, yeah, I get that. You know, like Sully, Sully as a seven-year-old. You then move up towards the bonds and it's... A, I mean, it's enormous. The eyes are very wide apart and they've been given a sort of realistic sheen, you know, as yeah, if to yeah. imply that the eyes are sort of wet and they're, you know, the light glances off them, which is totally at odds with how light and physics is working on the sort of body, I think. Um, you've then got just a sort of almost normal human mouth with a very, very thin lip, which just looks And, and yeah, individual crazy. teeth. Yeah, and individual oh. teeth. It's awful. It's, it's horrid. It's, 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 it's absolutely it's... horrid. If readers of the podcast have children, if they watch CBBS or sort of kids TV, can you please message in if you have shows like this that give uh, give you a visceral reaction? Yeah, because uh, you know, if, if people aren't aware as well, Hey Dougie is fantastic. It's voiced by Alexander Armstrong noted friend of the podcast oh, yes. and bluey which is australian and uh is like f famously very very good um and very very well written and yeah the, the, there's good there is good really good kids tv now I, i'd actually go as far to say that kids tv now is significantly better 
than it was when we were younger. Like the production quality and the writing is so much better now. It's interesting you talk about Bluey. Yeah. Because I... Now, when would it have been? It would have been in the sort of tail end of December. Right. And a friend of mine who was a year above me at school when I was at St. Leonard's College in Melbourne was doing a sort of Europe trip and mm-hmm. said, oh, we should, you know, we should, um, we should catch up, which was, was a lovely idea. And I have, obviously, I, I haven't seen her since, gosh, since I left Australia. So that was what, November, December 2014 quite a long time ago Mm -hmm. um anyway it was really lovely catching up and she's doing really well yeah and it was all great but she was part of the bluey state like touring live show stage show she was one of the like puppeteers or something oh wow yeah and she and she and and she went all over like all over australia they did they did they toured the us she would like she was away for months and months and months but yeah that's how i know um that's i didn't i didn't really know unsurprisingly amount of, a huge amount about bluey but yeah she was part of the touring the touring sort of show amazing i thought you were going to say that she was one of the voice actors and i was going to lose my mind yeah yeah that would be quite cool wow. i think she may have she may have voiced a character don't tell me that um in the again in the live show not in the television one but i'll need to ask oh, oh, right, right. um yeah I'll, and well i don't think she knows that i do this podcast so maybe a, a way of me letting her know that this is a thing that i do <laughs> saying we t- i spoke about you <laughs> but yes how in, yeah, really interesting. Here, here's, here's 30 minutes of loose discussion about um, England in the late Middle Ages, but there is a little bit about Bluey, and we mention yeah. you. I'm sure that's the way to get someone into it. When you start a new television series, and normally you've got to give the first episode a chance, and then it really picks up. What, what we're suggesting here is that just, just sit through the conversation about England in the late Middle Ages, because it really, <laughs> really picks up with Bluey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I do have um, another show that I would like to recommend. I think you specifically would probably enjoy it a lot. So the backstory for this, and this isn't this isn't children's TV. Um, the backstory is I did some filming a, a couple of weeks ago in Brighton for. I'm not technically allowed to say what it's for, but it's it's for a TV thing. Um, and the people that were doing the behind the scenes like uh, safety stuff had previously worked as the art department for a show called The Great Big Tiny Design Challenge. Right. And I'd never heard of this before. And based off the back of talking to them, I went and checked it out. This is a show. uh, It's available on all four in the UK where it's a a Bake Off style format. You have these contestants. One is get eliminated every week until you're left with two in the final um, who are building a doll's house. And every week they do a different room of the doll's house. And it will be a specific room, like a living room or a bathroom, and it will be a specific time period. So they did like a Rococo entrance hall. They did an Edwardian games room, um, a Tudor bedroom type thing. And it's a a one-twelfth scale doll's house, meaning that if it's a foot in real life, it's an inch in the doll's house. And they, they split into teams and they have like 12 hours or however long it is to make that room. They get given the blank template and then they have to make everything that goes inside it. And it's hosted by Sandy Toxvig, who is clearly having the time of her life. Like yeah, she clearly yeah. is loving the the project. And it's just really, uh, we, we, uh, we Pixel Wife and I binge the whole series. It's really good. It's really like gentle, sweet entertainment. But uh, yeah, really, really enjoyed it. If people like model making, if you like sort of crafting and making stuff with your hands uh, or woodworking specifically, there's a lot of woodworking in the show, would highly recommend it. It's one of the most enjoyable things I've watched on TV in ages. Cool. 
What a cool thing. And they also, the reason I say you specifically might like it is because they do a sequence where when the rooms are finished, um, Sandy Toxvig goes into the rooms by which she's obviously on a green screen stage and they just composite her into oh, wow, the great. rooms as if she's walking around. And it's like, oh, it's 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 the Dan shot. Yeah. Like, <laughs> why didn't they hire you for this? Yeah. They could have just, you know, said, and now we send our reporter into the field to test out these rooms. To be fair, that does sound right up my straws, and I imagine... Were, were I given the opportunity, I would host it very well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you'd absolutely smash it. Yeah. Um, what have I been watching? Um, oh, I've started, I've been re-watching all of House of Cards again. Cause it's, the US version? Yeah, because it's just phenomenal. Uh, anything else that I... Oh, yeah. Um, have you seen Maestro yet? No, is it worth watching? With Bradley Cooper, yeah. Um, I, watched it, I watched it with my partner and it was... We were both blown away by it. I, I thought it was really beautiful. An incredible performance, really, really interesting direction. Yeah, I loved it. Oh, okay. It was quite it was quite long, but but it's a it's a labour of love. So I think you can excuse the, the the fact that it goes on a bit. But at no point did I think I was watching and I was just going like, Oh god, come on, when is it gonna finish? You know. I um I really mm. enjoyed it, so I'd I'd highly recommend it. Oh right. Well, I I've not watched a film in since the Christmas break. I just don't have any time. No. Anymore. Like, I know uh, that it has tempted me, Maestro, because it's on, it's available on Netflix, isn't it? It is, yeah. Um, so, uh, doing, watching that would be good. There's uh, American, oh, what's the one that Jeffrey Wright's got coming out? It's literally launching like the day we're recording this, I think. I saw some advertising for it the other day and it does look right up my alley. Mm. Um, American fiction. That's what I was trying to think of. Oh, right. Cause I, I, I just, I, I like, I, it's the, the older I get, the more I look at Oscar nominations and I'm like, I haven't seen most of these. Yeah. <laughs> like there was a time when I would have seen most of the films that have been nominated for the big categories. And I just, now I, yeah, man, I've got, I've, I've got limited time. Because our friend Hugo did the, he did his reaction to like, well, this is who should win this category, and this is who is going to win this category. Yeah, and I just, I, I don't have time for that. I really want to see, I really want to watch all of us strangers, the one with Andrew, Andrew Scott, and is it Paul Mescal? Beats me. Yeah, Andrew Scott and Paul Mescal. Andrew Scott, obviously, who, who, you know, who I mean by when I say Andrew Scott, right? Um, Moriarty, right? He was Moriarty, in, yeah, in, in the BBC Sherlock. Yeah. Yeah, it's par- apparently absolutely amazing. I'd love to see that. I still haven't seen Thingy, Atomic Bomb. Oppenheimer. <laughs> yeah, I still, haven't, I still haven't seen it. I'd love to, so I need to watch that. Uh, yeah, there's lots of things I'd like to see, but yeah, similar to yourself, I, I just I don't really have a great deal of time. I feel like it's um, it's partly I don't have time, but also I... I don't know if it's the if it's a result of the pandemic, but the idea of going to the cinema as an activity just doesn't really, I don't know, just doesn't really appeal anymore. No. And obviously, you know, with kids, it's more difficult anyway. But yes. like, yeah, unless it's a film that you need it, you need you know, so something like I regret not having been able to see Oppenheimer on you know proper big full IMAX you know, for the oh, visual yeah, yeah. spectacle or, or sim- like, I don't know if you're watching Avatar or something, you know, where, where that visual spectacle is basically the reason you're going. Yeah. But otherwise I actually just quite like watching things at home. I don't really, you know, I did. As soon as I said it, I did realize that there is the exception. I am definitely going to go and see Dune part two. Oh, of course. Yeah, definitely. That's the, that's the one thing on my horizon that, Dunk. but I don't know. I don't, I don't know if, if that's a common thing. If are people just genuinely, 
not going to the cinema as much anymore? Because it, it does feel like there's been this decline in interest in stuff like uh, the Marvel films, for example. Like that interest in that seems to have just dropped off a cliff. I know there have been some clangers recently, but like I don't know, is that is that a broader societal thing where people just don't, don't care as much anymore, or am I just old? I don't know. I mean, it'll be interesting. To, I'm sure there's some statistics somewhere that could say whether whether going to the cinema is on the decline. Um, I mean, if you look at the number of mm. the number of big feature films that are coming out now that are actually being made by you know they have a very very limited um, theater like theatrical run, and then they go straight to streaming platforms. Yeah, I don't know. It's an it's an it's an interesting question, isn't it? Has the business model just changed? Yeah, because I do. I was speaking to somebody the other day about TV work and how like apparently the industry at the moment for TV, and I, I would assume that this extends to film as well, is in a really bad place. Like, mm. the, the the motto is basically survive until 2025, which I was slightly surprised by. I thought, I, and apparently that's like a, a hangover from the pandemic, but it's also cost of living. Like, there's just, I think there's just less money going around on these projects, and it's... It's, it's, it's not exactly essential, you know, and I think I think studios are tightening their belts and cutting budgets and things like that. So it's just the, the large scale entertainment that we're used to having on film and TV just it, it, at the moment it seems like it's just not viable. And I don't know if that's like just a temporary thing yeah. and we'll, we'll have a big resurgence at, at some point or if that is just the new normal is is the new normal YouTube videos, TikToks and lower production quality things uh, on streaming services. We're asking and trying to answer all of the serious questions, aren't we, today? I still don't know what socially happened in the late Middle Ages in England. To be fair, I don't think it, I don't think anybody does. It's it, it. Truth is, whatever we say, it, it is. We'll just we'll just become academics, and I don't know. But I, what, you know what the dream is to be not a modern academic, but to be like an ancient Greek academic. I just want to be a guy who has like oh, I I lay in a bath for a while and I had these thoughts about the universe. Let me print them, and I will become the most famous person in my town. You know, like <laughs> who yeah. doesn't want that lifestyle? Yeah, yeah. Pretty cushy. But what we should do, however, the lifestyle that we really want is thanking the wonderful people who support us on Patreon.com forward slash the Wikicast. Top lad. Yes, Simon, you're absolutely right. It's time to say an enormous thank you to those who support us on Patreon. That's Patreon.com forward slash the Wikicast. What does Patreon do? It enables this podcast to exist. It pays for our hosting, it pays for our phenomenal editor, Fergus, and for the price of less than a coffee per month, you can ensure that we keep doing this silly thing, what we do. Um, you could be a, a, a top dog or a top cat supporter, and if you do that, um, your names are lovingly read out by Simon and myself, and I'd like to do that now with obviously... Lovingly. <laughs> the, 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 I'm going to make them all loving. Um, Obviously, I'm going to do the best pet, which is undisputedly top dog. So without further ado, I'd like to say an enormous thank you to Jay Wright, Ben McMurtry, Codzo, <coughs> Colin J. Brown, Lexi at Front Desk, Aaron Jorgensen, Naf Laroque, Andrian with an N Chan, Ben Caples, Martin Narciso, Lexi at Front Desk's boss, Amy Bonney, Sophie Carnav, I'm stuck in a PhD and I blame Simon, Dan Nelson, <laughs> Riley Stray, and Gentle Grudge. Thank you so much. And I'd like to thank Will Jenis Humphreys, 
Actually, I don't know how comfortable I feel. Yes, I don't know. I felt a bit weird there. <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh, that's that's a bit of a weird one. Um, it, it was the uh, proximity to the microphone of, the, and I'd like to. Th- it got quite sort of like grunty. Thanks coming to you. Uh, yeah, let's <laughs> uh, just know that the love is there, but it's not gonna be uh, detectable in my voice. Oh, it's like talking to my mum. Okay, um, <laughs> I'd like to say a massive thank you to Will Janice Humphreys, James S. Sorry, mum, if you're listening. Rents Kirk, Simon P, Oliver Burkhart, Nathan Flaherty, Leila Medina, Lord Lewis Bassingdale of Annettsford and its surrounding provinces, Jack Easton, Izzy CC, Nafi Iftikhar, Dame Valerie the Third, Dan Hanvey, Colm Mansfield, Christopher Betterton, Lexi at Front Desk's arch enemy, Isabella, Anna Reifer, and the Kyrene on caffeine. Gosh. Thank you so much, everyone, for all you do to support us. We'll try and be more regular in the future. <laughs> we can't promise that. <laughs> Top lad. Right, let me log into the old uh, inbox. Well, we've certainly got a lot of a lot of dreck and shit in uh, in the pipeline, and that's just uh, that's just messages from the viewers. You know, I'm joking. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so we find ourselves in correspondence corner, and we've got a couple of emails from our wonderful readership. Thank you very much if you've emailed in. We're going to start with an email here from Elspeth. Hang on, uh, it's actually Elspeth Mora Esquire. Mm. Parentheses. I earned this. I am a barrister when I'm not on the dole. We'll, we'll see. We'll see where this goes. Uh, it it's, it's, has the subject headline: "Greetings from one of the coldest capitals in the world, in the coldest loyalist colony." Dear Messrs. Clark and Moore, first I must extend my compliments to Mister Clark. Thank you. I am delighted to hear that Pixel Wife was safely delivered of a Pixel child. Secondly, I wish to submit a piece for Mr. Moore's consideration as a choral piece of the week. Canada's oldest Christmas carol, sung in three of our nation's many tongues. Wow. The Huron Carol. So this is, the, I realised, I think we must have missed this from a previous episode, because this was uh, this uh, email is dated November 30th, so before Christmas, hence oh, why gosh. it's a Christmas carol. So... Apologies that we, we seem to have missed this. Um, I, let me give this a listen. One eternity later. Okay, I've listened to five seconds, and I immediately like it. Okay, I'm going to click on it also, and have a listen. You may hear this through the speaker. Oh, yeah. Right? That's really cool. That's really cool. Oh, and it's... So it's sung in that French and English. So if I skip ahead. Well, it's Wendat, French and English. Yeah. What a cool thing. Thank you, Elspeth, for that. That is really cool. And I'm going to listen to that in full after we finish doing this. So, wow. Oh, okay, wow, okay. Elspeth continues. Third, I must offer some recommendations from a parent. I gave birth to my first child, a daughter, on November 6th. Ever grateful I was not faced to be a Tudor queen. Um, So not three weeks before sending this email, Elspeth became a a parent. Congratulations. Wow, Um, congratulations. That's that's incredible. 
I hope that you're getting more sleep than we are at the moment. Recommendations from a parent for a parent's review in Critics Corner. If your babe still needs contact naps, may I recommend an ergo baby carrier and a big exercise ball? Put the baby in the carrier and bounce on the ball until they get their bubbles out and fall asleep. Then just proceed with your usual activities just with the addition of a 6 to 12 pound weight. Oh, my carrier has a poppy on it because my daughter was due on November 11th. Oh, that's lovely. That is lovely. I really like that. So so we have a carrier. We have one. I love having her in the carrier. It's just one of my favourite things because she just sort of hangs there. Mm. And like when she's awake, she can cuddle you a bit. It's really, really nice. But I've not heard of the tip with an exercise ball. So we might have to try that. Interesting. And then um, Elspeth um, concludes. <laughs> Elspeth has attached some pictures here and i don't know if this is the same with your email client dan but they are enormous yes <laughs> these pictures are, are zoomed into like 400 percent i have to click in order to actually see the whole thing so oh there's the baby carrier with the, with the poppy on it oh that's lovely and they have said postscript i am lucky to know some canadian climate activists doing great check out andrew luber's film co-extinction and check out the work of the assembly of first nations i've heard of the assembly of first nations but not of Andrew, so oh, and there's the exercise ball. I see. Interesting. Well, I mean, uh, that so that's given me something to to look up. Andrew Luber, um, and also perhaps trying something out with the exercise ball with the babe, the babe with the power. Elspeth, thank you so much for writing in, and congratulations. I hope that parenthood is treating you well. In return, as previously discussed, I can recommend. Hey, Dougie. <laughs> Absolutely. And we have an email here from our our very own editor, Simon Fergus. Fergus. Why are you emailing in? Why are you not editing the show right now? <laughs> get get back to work. Um, Fergus, Fergus writes, Yo, <laughs> just reminded me I meant to send you these in regards to the most amazing pe- place chat in the pod. Have been lucky to go to some cool places, and this is certainly one of them. Take a... Took a... Oh God, I can't even read. Took a boat out to St Kilda a few years back. The village was really interesting, but there was a lot of activity going on and construction happening but the sea stacks a few kilometres away were mental. Don't really capture it in the photos, but thousands of birds circling overhead couldn't see the top at one point because of the clouds. It was like a cathedral peeking out of the sea or something. Made you feel tiny. Wrote a piece about it later. Wow, that's crazy. Oh, and has he included, has he included the link to the piece? That's a, yeah, he has, and there's a picture. Amazing. Yes, so uh, we talked about St Kilda on, I believe it was episode, I just looked it up, I believe it was episode 120, because um, right. there's a great book um, written about it by Tom Steele. Um, incredible history of the place. But yeah, they're the tallest sea cliffs in the UK, St, wow. St Kilda. And it's like one of the most important bird, like seabird breeding sites in the world. I've not actually seen pictures of it this close up before. That is wild. Really beautiful. Well, I spent New Year in Scotland, which is like the first time I've ever been to Scotland, and it was completely stunning, and I desperately want to go back. It was the first time you'd ever been? Yeah, basically. I think, I, I mean, I, I was, the only other time I've been was when I was not quite one, and my parents went to the Outer Hebrides, so it doesn't really count. But other than that, I've never been. Right. Wow. Okay. So, yes, I mean, I, I love Scotland. Absolutely love it. If I could make it work, and if my whole family could move up there, I would 100% just relocate to Scotland, probably. But tell you what, I, if I remember, I will try to put these photos on the Wikicast Instagram because they are, it is a beautiful place, St Kilda. Yeah. Tell you what, Dan, we do have some more emails here, but um, I have noticed that we've been recording for quite a while yes. um, and we should probably save these for next time. Yes. So that just leaves us to ask what have we learned today? Today, Simon, we learned about England 
in the Middle Ages. Did we? <laughs> well, sort of. Our audience learned more about our club-going habits than they did about England in the late Middle Ages. <laughs> well, yeah, today I think we've sort of set new new records for the number of sort of tangential comments and links and things that we've been talking about. We've covered an awful lot. Um, we spoke about yeah. the, the the upsetting program that your that that, that your daughter has been enjoying. Mm-hmm. And me as and, well. I'd like to point out. <laughs> uh, yes, um, uh, Bluey cropped up as Bluey is so often want to do. Bluey, hey, hey Dougie, yeah. and definitely not Messi goes to Okido. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh, frightening. Um, we had a choral piece of the week, which was of course Handel's Messiah. Since by man came Jeff, and we talked about. Oh gosh, I don't even remember Dan. This this one is complete spaghetti of different plot threads in my head. Absolutely. And just saying that has made me think I need to have lunch. Yeah, I'm starving. I haven't had any breakfast yeah, yet. You messaged me to say, well, why don't we record at 11 and then we can roll into lunch? And I was, I was just like, oh, but we just do some mukbang. Yeah. Just, 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 just eat, you know, we'll, we'll end the podcast with 30 minutes of just eating sounds. <laughs> we won't talk, obviously. We'll just both separately record. <laughs> it's like that, um, you know, the, the, the VidCon vlog when we were both eating kebabs. Yes. There is so much like chewing, oh. chewing intensifies as a as a you know. If, yes, readers, if you if you're not familiar with this video, then go and watch it because that whole trip was brilliant. Um, but loved it. Uh, the, it was quite a spicy kebab. It was because you had a kebab and I was just having chips, and we sort of took it upon ourselves to have a drunken food review yeah. after, after getting in. That was seven years ago, by the That's way. That's insane. And and the wine and cheese board in in um, the Rijksmuseum. Oh, the Rijksmuseum. And funny, actually, funny you should bring this up today because um, I am uh, later today recording an interview with Hank Green for another project. Cool. Hank Green of John. Yeah. They've got tickets. <laughs> this guy's got tokens. <laughs> oh, tokens. That was it. Hey, well, I do pass on my um, best. Not that he'll have any idea who I am, but anyway, I do hope he's well. Yes, I would, I'll definitely make sure to say Dan Moore sends his best. I'll <laughs> just see what he says. <laughs> Well, that's all for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your podcasting service of choice. Join the Discord, and if you'd like to see our faces, check out our Instagram. Uncanny Valley Children's TV Shows, your favourite period of the late Middle Ages, and other thoughts on the show can be sent to us at spongyelectric at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Join us again for another tumble down the wiki rabbit hole, and we'll see you next time. time.